0: Well, hey, uh, we're starting a nine-week series. If you have your Bible, grab it, and uh, we're going to be camping out in a couple of different passages. The first place I'm going to have you turn to is the book of Titus. If you go to Titus chapter 3, and we're going to spend the next nine or ten weeks unpacking what you'll see behind me is the the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to explore this question, which is, what are the character traits that distinguish a person who is becoming more godlike? So if you are somebody who has been saved by grace, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who has been regenerated, it means that something starts to happen inside of you. There's a a process that we call sanctification that starts to happen to you. What's happening is that you're actually just becoming more godlike. You're becoming more like Jesus. And here's our main point in the series, and it's this, it's actually on the inside of your bulletin. It's that this, the fruit of the, the Holy Spirit is a visible Outworking of the invisible inworking of God's spirit in us. all right? And today what we 're going to do is we 're just going to briefly unpack that invisible inworking of God's spirit before next week, when we dive into all the individual outworkings, which are called the fruit of the spirit, which is where we get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And I can't re- believe I just memorized that, right Now I, I've said it wrong all week just nailed it i don't know um but that's what we're going to unpack over the next nine weeks And today we're going to be looking at something very specific, a very specific, what we would call a work of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is a particular work of the Spirit. But today we're going to be looking at the thing that gets us to the fruit of the Spirit. Another particular outworking of the Spirit, um, which is called regeneration. Because here's the thing, here's what we know about the work of the Holy Spirit, is that there has to be a former you for there to be a fruitful you. Right, there has to be a former you for there to be a fruitful you. Now, you guys have all seen. I got to confess, we're a little late to this parade. But for all of you that have been watching Chip and Joanna, I don't have to say their last name anymore. They're so household. But for all of you guys that have been geeking out on uh, on the show Fixer Upper all these years, we just like started on season one like four weeks ago, right? We're like super late. I'm like, who's Chip? You know, like I'm super late to this whole party. But what's so fascinating about the show, and I know we're like 26 years late to this whole thing. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But what's so amazing about the show and what I love about it is it, is it gives us a little bit of a picture of what we're going to be talking about today, which is when you watch Chip and Joanna, what do they do? Well, they... They take these old, outdated, and and run-down houses that need some work, and they they just completely renovate the inside. Usually I'm finding with a lot of shiplap, right? Um, But when you see the before and the after pics, you know, when they have the couple just waiting and they put up the, whatever it is, the barrier, and they open it up and the, the couple gets to see what it looked like before and after. Um, it's almost barely recognizable once they let the couple in to see all the interior and exterior work that they've done on the house. It's, it's almost a sight to behold and what happens is the couple always act shocked and amazed and the, you know the wife usually starts crying and the guy like wants to show emotion he doesn't know how and um, as they get ushered into the house and they get to see everything completely restored and renewed and rejuvenated this is a lot like what happens to us when through the power of the Holy Spirit God regenerates our hearts And he brings us before the cross of Christ and we see ourselves as the sinners that we are who can't help themselves. And what the Holy Spirit does in that moment is he allows us to see the face of Jesus and put our trust in his work. And then it's because of that work, it's because of that renovation, it's because of that renewal that then we're allowed then to enjoy and have others enjoy the fruit that comes from that work. And so one of the questions that we want to ask off the top here is, well, how is this inward generation brought about, this inward regeneration? Well, Titus 3 tells us, let's pick up in verse 3, I'm going to read it, and it says this. For we ourselves, Paul says, writing to Titus, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. And then verse 4 tells us this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. Believe what I'm telling you, Paul is saying, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people is what he says. So how is this inward regeneration, this just marvelous, miraculous work that happens inside of you, how is it brought about? Well, John Piper, he gives us some help here. He unpacks three ways that this inward regeneration happens from what I just read in Titus 3. And because he's better at explaining some things than me, um, I'm going to read what he said. um, And this is what he said. These are the three ways this inward regeneration happens. The first one is, it happens by the kindness of God, which is what we read about in verse four. And this is what John says. He says, if you are born again, if you were wakened from spiritual death and given eyes to see and ears to hear and a spiritual sense to taste that Jesus is supremely satisfying and given a heart to trust him, it is all owing, he says, to the, uh, to the kindness of God. So then he says this let your very existence as a Christian tell you every hour of every day, God is kind to you. Scott was just talking about it in his prayer. There was no obligation by God to do this miraculous regenerating work. You didn't deserve it. He did it because he's a God who is altogether kind. So inward regeneration happens by the kindness of God. Secondly, John Piper says it happens by the philanthropy of God. And the word that Paul uses for loving kindness here in verse 4 is where we get our word philanthropy, which just simply means a love of humanity, a love for humanity. Paul says that God's heart inclines to do humanity's good. God is in the highest sense a philanthropist, John says. So Paul is saying if you are born again, it happened because of God's inclination to bless humanity. He wants to do good. He loves you. He loves people. He loves humanity. His heart goes out to you. He's for you when he saves you. It tells us something about the God that actually regenerates us. Right? So Paul is saying that this loving kindness of God, this philanthropy, by the way, didn't just happen, but that it appeared. That's what we just read. It appeared through the loving kindness of God found where? What appeared? Who appeared? Well, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. So this loving kindness that appeared is in the form of a person. Jesus is the loving kindness of God. It's not abstract, right? It's not a force. It's not a feeling. It's not this thing that you just start feeling tingly all over about. Although sometimes that can happen. But this loving kindness appeared as a person. So inward regeneration, it's by the kindness of God, by the philanthropy, the goodness, the love of humanity of God. And then finally, it's by the mercy of God. John Piper says this, if you are born again, you owe it to the mercy of God, he said. God is merciful. We didn't deserve to be born again. We were hard and resistant and spiritually dead. God would have been just to just pass us by. We read in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. So John Piper goes on to say, we owe our new life and our new birth to mercy. So God is kind, God is loving toward humanity, and God is merciful. This is how we are born again. This is the process and the progress of which God saves dead people. And by the way, God doesn't save anybody that ain't a dead person. And everybody's a dead person before they're saved by God. That's the good news, isn't it? Isn't that the good news? So then, with all of that being said, what evidence, what's the evidence that we have that this in-working regeneration of the Holy Spirit has actually happened? Because people can say it happened. People can act like it happened. I know a lot of people that say there are certain things, but then when you peel back some layers, it turns out they are not so much those things, right? So this Christianity thing, and we see this all through Scripture, it can be faked, Right? Just because we say we're a Christian doesn't mean we're a Christian. Right? Words are empty without something that follows from the outflowing of our heart that becomes an action that gives evidence for who we are. Right? So what is the evidence? Well, 1 John gives us some evidence. 1 John 3, 9 through 10 says, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. So there you go. It says this, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I don't know, John's pretty clear there for us. So two distinguishing marks that give evidence of the in-working regeneration of the Holy Spirit is number one, we don't practice sinning. We don't practice sinning. Now listen what it does not say. It doesn't say that we don't sin. We do sin. It says that we don't practice sin. It says we don't make a practice of sinning and we don't keep on habitually sinning. In other words, somebody who's been changed has this inner regeneration, is convicted of sin, sees themselves mired in particular practices that aren't pleasing to God. And this thing happens inside of us called conviction, where we have the desire to say, I know this isn't pleasing you, Jesus. Help me to turn away from this sin. I'm fighting this sin. But there's something inside of us now that's different. Instead of embracing our sin, instead of going after all of our sinful passions and desires, something changes in us. And we say, Lord, save me. We say, Lord, wretched man that I am. We say, Lord, give me more grace. Give me more mercy. Because I know this isn't the heart that you have for me because it's been changed. So there's a difference in that we don't practice sinning. And then number two, on the flip... It says we practice righteousness. And one of the ways that we practice righteousness, he says, is that we love our our brother. We love one another. There's now this overflowing of love and compassion and generosity that goes out towards the people that we call our brothers and sisters, as well as people that we don't call our brothers and sisters. So we have a love for our brothers and sisters. So the fruit of the Spirit then is how our brothers and sisters receive the righteousness of Christ that comes to us by the work of the Spirit, which, of course, is what we're going to get to next week. So, apart from the inworking of the Holy Spirit, we will only ever be, according to John, practitioners of sin. Do you hear what I just said? We will only ever be practitioners of sin. Well, how so? Well, because, you know, a tree can only grow from a seed that's been planted in good soil, right? Like when you go to the produce section at Aldi's, right? I don't know if you guys knew this, right? But the fruit in those bins didn't just like grow in those bins. Like that's not where the fruit comes from, right? That produce person doesn't go around watering all those produce aisles, hoping that the fruit just magically pops up. Right, the next day when everybody comes shopping and like drops their quarter to get their cart and does the whole thing. I know about Aldi's. I just don't shop there. Nobody expects and nobody, it would be irrational and illogical to go into Aldi's and think, man, I just, man, I'm waiting for some fruit to grow in the aisles. Well, the fruit can't grow in the aisles. The fruit originated somewhere else. There was a work that happened before the fruit was produced. There was a seed that was planted in good soil. Look what John says in, his, in chapter 12 of his gospel. He says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, picture grain of wheat falling into the earth, into the soil, and dies, he says, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, Jesus says. And where I am, there will be my servant also. Do you get what Jesus is saying there? There has to be something that was planted in you for something to grow out of you. And he actually keeps it really real for us in how this is supposed to look. Whoever loves his life loses it, Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So all those passions and desires that you were born with, that in one time in your life, it's all you had any desire and love for, those passions and desires begin to get replaced by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And they're reversed. They're flipped. They're regenerated. They're renewed. They're restored. They're going in the opposite direction than they used to to go. Right? And that's how we know that there has been a work done inside of us. So if an authentic regeneration has happened, bearing fruit is inevitable. 1 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he is a new creation. He's new. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. He says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, still living a life in the flesh, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's how we'd summarize what I just said. We are new creations who have died to our sin and are now living. We are now living for our Savior by practicing the qualities that reflect his character, which is where the fruit comes in. Again, there has to be a former you for there to be a fruitful you, all right? Let's turn to Galatians. Let's unpack the former you a little bit. Go to Galatians chapter five. You just wanna go left. Galatians chapter five. Here's how Paul would describe the former us, the former yous, picking up in verse 19. This is what he says, and this list is brutal, okay? This list is brutal. Now here's how we want to read that list for those of us who have been saved by God's grace. We want to read it as people that still might struggle and battle with some of these things, but have God's grace to recognize that we are not condemned in these things any longer. For those of us who have not, Listen, for those of us who have not had that gracious encounter with Jesus Christ, you need to take these very seriously. This is what he says in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So he talks about another evidence. So the fruit of the Spirit is evident in us. The the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is evident. Guess what's evident when that's not evident? This, this is what's evident. The works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So that's what he says about the former you, about the works of the flesh. He goes on to say that this is how we once walked. This is how we once walked in habitual sins that reflected a lifestyle of pursuing passions and desires to satisfy our flesh. You're not rolling any other way if you don't have Jesus in your life to have regenerated your passions and desires. You're not rolling any other way, regardless of what you think. And then Paul issues just a really deep and sober warning. If you go to verse 21, he said, I warn you, Paul says. Is he warning us because he hates us and he's angry? Typically, when we get a warning from somebody, it's because they love us. A warning is a gracious thing. Every time you are warning your kids not to run out into the street, it's not because you're a meanie. It's not because you don't love your kids. It's not because you just want to get back at them. If you want to get back at them, you would tell them to run out into the street. No, you're warning them because it comes out of a sober reality that they're going to be heading into something that will not have a real healthy effect on their life. Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if this is you, if this is you, Jesus came to rescue you from those passions and desires and replace them with ones that lead to a life of renewal and restoration found in him. There has to be a former you for there to be a fruitful you. So what is the fruitful you? Well, he kind of gives us a list here as we go to verse 22. He contrasts those passions and desires of the flesh with what will be evident and come and flow from you as you are somebody who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I read that and I already had it memorized. I don't know why I just did that, right? Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, look what he says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Then he says this keep it up. Keep up that crucifixion process in your life against those passions and desires that represent the former you. He says, if you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with that work that he's done, that gracious, merciful work. He said, keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Let us not provoke one another. Let's not envy one another, he says. So we have these nine fruits of the Spirit that we'll begin unpacking next week. But let's just go through them and give ourselves a little overview of what Paul means when he talks about these things. What does Paul mean when he talks about love? Well, he talks about serving God for who God is. That's what the fruit of love looks like as it's flowing out of us. Joy is delighting in God for who he is, having this delight for all that God is and everything that he's done and continues to do. Peace means resting in God's wisdom over your life. When we do that, when we rest in the wisdom of God rather than our own wisdom, being, not being able to figure out something but knowing that God already has it figured out, what does that do? Well, it gives us a peace that passes even our own understanding and our own wisdom and our own ability to even know what we don't know. One of the fruits is patience, which is facing circumstances with steadiness, right? Knowing that it's okay for us to wait, knowing that it's okay for us to slow our roll. God gives us the ability to be patient. He gives us kindness, which is caring for others. And not caring for others to see what we can get from them, but caring for others out of a deep security because of everything that Christ continues to do in our lives that we acknowledge him for and we give him thanks for and we show gratitude for. Goodness is having integrity of heart in all that we do. We want to be upright. We want to practice righteousness. We want to do things that show that we care about people being honored the way that we want to honor Christ. Gentleness which is just the heart of being somebody who's humble. When somebody's gentle with you, it's because they have a posture of humility and they want you to experience that from them. Then we have faithfulness, which is being loyal. It's being reliable. It's being truthful in all things. And then of course there's self-control, which is those moments when we pursue the important over the urgent, right? We pursue the important over the urgent. And God gives us the ability to discern on things that we need to take, things we need to wait on, things we need to grab hold of, things we need to let loose of. We have self-control. And so these are the fruits of the Spirit. This is the outworking parts that come from the inworking regeneration, right? So the fruit of the Holy Spirit means that what is most characteristic of Jesus becomes most characteristic of us. I mean, can you even fathom that? Like the person that had like the hundred percentile of all the fruits of the Spirit, like we are slowly becoming like Him. Our lives are more greatly reflecting that. And again, when you, when you look around and you look at, and you're saying, hey, Ronnie, can I get a model? I don't feel like I'm a model of this. Well, these are those people who you look at and you say, man, there's, there's just something different in them. These are the people you look at and you kind of marvel at, right? These are the people that you look at in all kinds of different seasons and circumstances. And these are the kind of the things that we say. And we say these things to each other. We say, how could he be so loving after what was done to him? How is that possible? How could she be so joyful after everything she's gone through? How can they have so much peace after such a tragedy? How can he be so patient given what he's had to endure? How can she be so kind when so much harm has been done to her over the years? How can they be this gentle after they've received so much harsh treatment? How can he be so faithful after being betrayed the way he was betrayed? How can she have so much self-control when so much has been laid at her feet to tempt her? The answer is that they're not who they once were. The answer is that these are men and women and children who don't have the same heart. These are people that have owned their sin They've laid it at the foot of the cross. They've received the grace of Jesus. They've become a new creation that practices the fruit of the work born inside of them by the Spirit of God. Now, Jerry Bridges, uh, an author that I think recently passed, uh, reminds us that we are both responsible and dependent when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll be unpacking that as we go through these fruits every week. This is what he says, though. He says, though, the power for Christ-like character comes from Christ, the responsibility for developing and displaying that character is ours. Right? So we are simultaneously responsible but dependent on God for practicing these fruits. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, right, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. In other words, not just because I'm around and you might be doing it to look good. He's saying, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he says, for it is God who works in you. So here what he says, work out your own salvation and trembling. That doesn't mean you earn it. It means after it's been earned for you, start working it out through the outworking and the practice of the fruit of the spirit. But he says this, but it's not you For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So let me clear this up. We work hard to obey God, but we rely on God for his power to accomplish that work which comes from his good pleasure to work in and work through us. Ronnie, that's great, but please tell me, how do I know when I'm trying to run off my own willpower then? How do, I, how do I make that distinction? How do I see that? This is starting to feel complex. Well, this is what I would say very simply. When you're working off of your own willpower to practice what God has given you the fruit to relinquish and release, I think you're going to be experiencing some exhaustion and discouragement. I think that's when you're going to send me the email or give me the phone call and say, man, I just need to talk, big R, because I feel like I'm trying really hard and I'm just discouraged all the time. And I'll say, great, I'm so glad you came to me. Let's go grab a cup of coffee and let's talk about the fact that you were trying to work all of this out on your own steam. And guess what? You just ain't got the steam. You just ain't got the steam. And that's where grace comes in. That's what's beautiful about the good news of the gospel is that the steam was provided by Jesus. And we work hard, and it doesn't mean we don't get tired. It means that we don't lose heart, it means that we don't lose hope. It means that when we do get discouraged and exhausted, we actually know what's happening. We know what's happening in those moments, right? It's kind of like the difference between mowing your lawn with a push mower instead of a powered mower. Now I have a neighbor who's, who will remain nameless. And uh, he has a, he has a push mower, right? He has a push mower. They're also called real mowers, R-E-E-L. If I'm being honest, that's a little too R-E-A-L for the kind of mower that I want to be using, Right? But it's kind of the equivalent, right? Man, we're pushing that thing. We're pushing that thing. And all the grass is grinding, man. And we're sweating. And, our well, you know, we're working out our arms. But, man, it's something that is taking our breath away. And then you got these beautiful mowers like me and Big M have, which is called a powered mower, right? And you click the thing, and the thing actually has a little engine, and it kind of pulls you. And you walk behind it, and it's such an enjoyable process that I still don't do that. You know? God wants you to work from the power that He's given you of the Holy Spirit inside of you that has taken care of all of the effort drivenness that once characterized your life. That's why the good news is so good. And if you've been told that, if you were told differently than that, like I was growing up at all the churches I was at, they didn't tell me that on purpose. They misunderstood this. And so I grew up exhausted. And I grew up thinking, man, he's not, God's not happy with me today because I, did all, I made all these mistakes. God's not happy with me today because I didn't serve as much as I should have served. God's not happy with me today because blank, blank, blank. No, no, no. God is always happy with you eternally and forever as long as when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus on your account. Forever happy with you. Never disappointed. Well, Ronnie, can't people possess some of these character traits without being saved? Man, I see people that are loving. I see people that have some joy. I see people that have some peace. I mean, what do you tell me? What is that all about? Well, in a general sense, yeah, they can, but here's the difference: their motivation will be the wrong motivation. It's kind of like eating something that has fruit flavor rather than being made from real fruit, right? Now you like that fruit flavory stuff. I like that fruit flavory stuff, but then when you've had the real stuff that's made by the real fruit and you get to taste the real flavor of the fruit, going back to the processed stuff, well, let's be honest, sometimes it's still good, but you actually develop then a taste and an appetite and a desire for the real thing, right? So yes, a person who has some of this fruit flavor may make the world a better place. Why? Well, because... Attributes, listen to me, we're almost done, that reflect Christ. Man, they're good things. And they're good for the flourishing of society. The problem, here's the problem with that, is that making the world a better place apart from a love for the creator of the world is not enough to send a person to a better world after death. Jesus saved us not because of works done by us in our own righteousness, Paul says in Titus 3. Anything else leads to exhaustion. So we were in Florida for a few weeks and uh, Melissa really likes to paddleboard. And what's so interesting about that to me is I don't know why she does, to be quite honest. So what happens is we go to the beach one day and she drags me out. And when I say drags me, I mean literally drags me out um, to uh, the middle of the ocean. Um, And dude, we were so far out I could barely see land. Um, and so she said, I really want you to try to get up on the paddleboard. So I said, all right. And, um, her birthday was coming up. So I'm, I'm trying. And, uh, so I try to stand up on the paddleboard and I was balancing. Everything felt great. I'm like, I got this. Maybe I'll like paddleboarding, babe. Totally kidding. You know, and then she hops on the back of the paddleboard and we go toppling over into the water. It wasn't humiliating or anything. Um, but again, by this time, we'd gotten so far out that I said, hey, babe, this is not going to work out for me. So I'm going to hold onto the board and, and try to swim back. And, um, and Melissa said, you know what? I, I just want to keep going. So why don't you just swim back? Right? You guys kind of you guys starting to get a picture of what I'm talking about right now? So I, I said, well, hold on. And, you know, and then she slipped out of my hand and kept going. And there I am. And um, man, I, I was so far from the shore um, that I, I wasn't sure I was going to make it back, right? Um, I mean, at, at some point I'm halfway through and I'm wheezing, which, which is crazy because when the waves are crashing, you wouldn't be able to think you'd be able to hear that. But I could hear my wheezing rather loud. You know who couldn't hear my wheezing? The lady in the front. So I, I'm getting closer to the shore, and by closer, it feels like, hey, I'm running a triathlon, and I still have, like, three miles to go closer. And there's some people that are standing on the shore, and I notice that they're turning around, and they're starting to look at me. And the problem is, is like, I know I'm starting to swim all weird because I'm tired. And so now I'm, now I'm trying to swim better. I'm trying just to look better at swimming while the wheezing keeps increasing because, again, there's, like, a crowd gathering. And I'm like, what, are they, getting, are they getting ready to save me? And then I'm thinking, oh, how I wish they would come out and save me right about now, right? That didn't happen. It's never been my dream to do a triathlon, and here I was. Here's my point. Here's my point. I had not worked up to any of this. There was nothing in me. I had no cardio for this. There's my confession for the day. Ronnie has the worst cardio in the world, by the time I reached the shore, I was just glad to have reached the shore. Do you guys get my horrible illustration there? There was no work that had been done to allow me to enjoy the blessing that would have been if I would have been able to have full use of my heart and my lungs as I swam to the shore. There was a time when I could have done that. The time is not now, it's past me, right? And that's the same way that we need to think about the work of the Holy Spirit, this inner working, this regenerating work. Without it, we are exhausted. Without it, we are barely staying above water. Without it, we are just flailing and we don't even know it. Without it, there are other believers that stand around us and they look at us and they go, but if only you would allow me just to bring you to shore Tell you about what it means to have that work of the Holy Spirit graciously accomplished inside of you. So, here's how I'm going to close. At Substance Church, our deepest desire is that you would believe the gospel. And it's not all this stuff that we do, it's not the cafe, it's not our community groups, it's not the few things that we do that we enjoy doing. But the the point of everything we do is that our heart and our desire is that many would believe the gospel. That you would repent of your sins. That you would put all of your faith and your trust and your hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Whose death on the cross was the most gracious, loving, and merciful sacrifice the world has ever seen and will ever know. So our encouragement is always this. Stop swimming without a paddle. Stop depending on your willpower. The message is always this fall back in your exhaustion into the loving arms of Jesus so that the fruit of the Spirit can come flowing out of your life from a deep and abiding love and affection for Him. Because this is the always and the ever good news. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise and honor when we think. of the price that Jesus had to pay so that we could have our inner hearts regenerated. What a gracious, loving, merciful, and amazing and astonishing thing that you did for us. God, don't let us walk away today without being in awe over this work that only you can accomplish and that you hold out to us to embrace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.